Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us again. It's Sabrina for my second show. And today we've got the lovely Shanna King joining us. And we're going to be discussing mentoring and is it working? So when we're talking about mentoring, we're talking about how we coach, support and mentor new staff who join an organisation. And the new staff could be experienced, NQTs or early career teachers or anyone who's just joined that needs that additional help to get to know the organisation. So, um, Shanna, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, by the way. So, it's Shanna Shanna King, um, Director of Quality. I've had roles in teaching and learning as a teaching and learning mentor, teaching and learning coach, lecturing, and my journey began way back in public health as a public health educator. Amazing, right. So lots of experience in kind of supporting staff and getting them in and inducted into organisations, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It's been one of the pivotal roles, really. And I've been really involved in that induction process in those first, especially the first year of supporting a teacher, like what you were saying, the early career framework. FE colleges are definitely trying to take on board how to support the new teachers in order to retain them and to give them the best start as possible. Um, so, for example, I mean, you and I worked together a, lo- a long while ago and we would have um, an induction process or something called a start for success where we made sure that teachers had everything that they needed, that essential checklist, the the access to teaching and learning support, the operational support and systematic support as well. So basically within FE, I mean, you, you will know this, but it differs to secondary education because we, we tend to draw in a lot of people that are industry specialists and subject specialists and not necessarily teachers. And they may join the college and then gain the qualification within the first year or within the first two years of being with us. So as you can imagine, in order to get them from to 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 being a specialist in one area to being a dual professional, dual professional in teaching and learning as well, there's a hell of a lot of support that goes into that and things like trying to reduce the timetables, yep. um, and get them to witness basically what good teaching and learning looks like. So. So that's probably one of the kind of processes that use. Is that something you think that works, making sure they have a reduced timetable um, and they do a lot of peer observations? Is that something you found that really helps in coaching and mentoring new staff, especially in FE, where they mm-hmm. come with maybe little teaching experience or no teaching qualifications? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, yes, the best the best processes that I've seen work and I've seen it work well and I've seen it work not so well. And it is really about leaders and, and managers investing in and buying into that concept of a coaching culture or a mentoring culture and basically building in the time. I don't think, I think it would be very unlikely to see a GFE um, college somewhere now without a coaching or mentoring process in place whether that be covertly or overtly whether it you know whether it's informal coaching and mentoring that's going on or whether there's a a formal process in place 
no, the key issue with anything in teaching is time, resources and right. financial constraints as well. So from an operational point of view, whilst we know that it's best practice to, to allocate some time to, to mentor new new teachers and teachers that are new to teaching, um, it's very difficult to get that timetable filled. So yes, ideally a reduced timetable is going to be the best start for a new teacher. However, unfortunately, that's not always the case. So say you've got a new member of staff, um, they rock up into your organisation, you can't give them that time that they need in terms of uh, taking off the timetable. What kind of practical strategies do you have to kind of support this person and, and get them in and retain them? I mean, that's the all, uh, ultimate goal, isn't it? To retain this member of staff and make sure they don't burn out, and, you know, make sure they leave the industry or the organization. Yeah, so yeah. What kind I of think... things do you do as a, a mentor or a coach? I think it's just it's touching base constantly. I mean, now the role that I'm in, it's not necessarily being out there and mentoring. I mentor the mentors or the coaches in a sense. And thus, I think it's really important to have a um, a team, a strong, robust team of coaches or mentors with a very wide skill set um, that can be sort of deployed or utilised really well across the college and all of the different provision types. I think it's important to have a presence within, say, for example, a staff room, being able to have those conversations when the when the new teachers got um well we call it DD time, so the desk or planning time, if they can't get time off the teaching timetable, so any opportunity for sort of conversational support, and inviting those teachers into your lessons as well. So an experienced teacher bringing them in, so that they can witness what good teaching and learning looks like, and the more the more of that they say, the better. So. I know you're talking about, you know, the mentee going out and observing. Um, what about the mentor observing and how, in some instances, this becomes punitive? Um, and I know I've witnessed this in my experience. You know, someone's come in, they're coming to help you, support you, per se. And they're doing an observation and it hasn't gone well. And all of a sudden, you're going down all of these like formal kind of capability um probationary action planning you know scary work for a new teacher um what happens then how do you balance that um kind of role where you you might edge a bit way to the line ma management rather than mentorship yeah okay so i think that there's always that judgment and support dichotomy there and i've worked in organizations where actually the mentor or the coach will carry out the formal observations as well and like you say there then becomes that little bit of a barrier or a little bit of a fear element there where the staff member feels like they're being judged and so that you know they almost want to keep you at bay and they associate your your presence with stress and with observations and with judgment um, and that's something that we we now know that we, we need to try and avoid and I think best practice really is to keep that separate and to have coaching and mentors to to take up a, a purely supportive role in this process so I mean you will know this but for the sake of people listening you, you know with quality you have your quality assurance sort of streamline of things and then you have your quality improvement where your observations you know your formal observations will come through the quality assurance we need to make sure that our teachers are giving our learners the best possible education and that they're doing it in a safe and effective way that meets policies and procedures um for the quality improvement side of things it is that informal popping in 
say pop-ins god we call them learning walks walkthroughs um i don't know have you heard them called anything else i think they've got so many different names pop-ins, pop-ins yeah it's all sorts <laughs> of things um but yeah yeah, yeah totally and you know a lot yeah. of those happen so yep and i think in order for the, for a te- for a member of you know teaching staff to build up a relationship with a coach they need to feel that they can be completely honest completely open and that they can take risks within the lesson without being judged and that's the only did way did you just say do. risks i did say risks. no so I... you can't say risks. not in the not when the big o is out there oh uh, really uh, yeah really I, do you really think mentors you know as much as they're encouraging risks and in, in you know coaching people to take risks do you think these risks are ever rewarded Okay, right. So let's just go back and redefine what I mean by the word risk. So you might have heard something called safe teaching, where somebody gets into a routine of doing, you know, the same activities, the same assessment for learning, the same, you know, processes within a lesson. And how can we bring about innovative practice? Where if we it's not broke, should we should we fix it? Mm, yeah, well, you know what, that might split some some opinions I've heard that a lot actually and it's um I agree with it to some extent however how do you move forward when the landscape is changing the sector's changing we now know that focus for teaching and learning should be based on how learners acquire knowledge and build on knowledge over time and how they can remember it in the long term and we're moving towards a, a more of a cognitive science approach towards things those things weren't predominant. Cognitive science say repetition and recall and familiarity help with all of that? Or is Absolutely, it, the- it does, but there are different ways to carry out repetition and recall. And all of those different activities that you're talking about, your spacing, your interleaving, it's about varying classroom practice so that learners remain engaged. And that's what I mean by taking risks, just by trying something that is completely evidence informed, but will maximise engagement as well. So as a as a mentor or as a previous mentor, if you walked in and someone had taken a risk and it was evidently a car crash disaster, learners are flipping, you know, they're not learning, they're not making progress. How do you respond to something like that? Well, I think as a mentor, obviously, it's going to be an informal visit to the lesson. And I think conversations need to be had. Um, I don't think anybody, any manager, any mentor, coach should be entering a classroom without speaking to learners, without getting a feel for what usually happens within the lesson and without getting a feel for the progress that learners have made over time. So I think you'll get a feel very quickly as to whether this is the norm for the lesson and also what you would expect to see for an experienced teacher if they are trying something new that they would adapt pretty quickly when they realize that learners are not making progress and if they don't do that then that's a conversation around how we use formative feedback within a lesson to adapt our teaching styles brilliant so okay i may i may allow a few risks now (laughs) (laughs) I think um, it's just defining the word risk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, but in, uh, I mean, if we go back, and we've mentioned kind of mentoring, we've mentioned coaching kind of interchangeably throughout this uh, conversation so far. I mean, what is the difference between the two, in, in your opinion? And how does it work 
which one do we use which one should we use um which one works best what are your thoughts around that i think if you are a trained mentor if you're an experienced mentor or coach that you will have elements of both within your practice and you will develop this skill set to be able to um almost slide between one and the other as needed just as with your learners in a classroom, how you adapt to meet their needs, where you've got, you know, mixed ability learners and you need to adapt your teaching strategies. It's the same for coaching and mentoring. Now, if I can kind of give you a, a little bit of a visual representation. So, let you know, let's clarify that both processes are basically a supportive relationship based um you know, dialogue that goes on, usually on a one to one basis between and, and I know we're focusing on new staff at the moment, but actually there still needs to be a focus on existing staff as well, because things change. And without, you know, without changing our practice and continuously improving and enhancing our practice, how do we best meet the needs of our learners that are experiencing all of this change at the same time as well? So do you recommend there should be some mentoring and coaching for, for all staff? So mentoring, I mean, I've heard it, I've heard it described in a few ways, but if you had it on um, um, an asking, if you had asking at one end of the spectrum and advising at the other end of the spectrum, what you would see is that mentoring typically falls towards the advising end of the spectrum. And it's about, um, you know, a more experienced or a more knowledgeable other in a specific situation, being able to impart their experiences, what they did in certain situations, how they, you know, how they went through troubleshooting, how they overcome challenges and adversity. And it's more of a guidance process. Whereas coaching, on the other hand, leans much more towards um, asking. So that, you know, your most skilled coaches are the most skilled people at using questioning to steer a conversation and to steer the person who is being coached or the coachee to realising their own actions and their own direction for their professional development and personal development. So that would be the main difference bet between the two there. Um, what we expect is that if we're coaching somebody, what we're assuming is that they've already got the knowledge, skills and behaviours there so that when we guide them through questioning, they'll come to that sort of pinnacle, that realisation, they'll set their own targets without prompting um, and, and we're not telling them. And it, it, it's, it's a process to maximise that person's potential and for them to do it themselves and forget to, and almost if you think about metacognition, it, it, it's about developing reflective practitioners and getting them to realise how they learn and how they develop as well. So that's where I would go with coaching. It's a little bit more structured. There's it sounds setting. very romanticised. I mean, does this actually work? I mean, I, I think that's the title of the show today. Does it work? Do you Have you seen it actually work? All of this, you know, the metacognition, the staff taken on board, the reflective practice. It's, it's everything you read about, isn't it? It's uh, everything in the books. But... Do, do we see it happen? Do we see the teacher who's taking home mountains of marking, who's just getting their feet in the ground, doesn't even know how to mark a register online yet? You know, are they really self-reflecting and thinking, you know, I'm going to set myself a short-term goal to achieve um, and then, you know, review it and report on it, etc. Mm -hmm. 
You know what? I would argue when, when I think it's all about the implementation of it. I think, like you say, the intent of of a coaching program and the ideal of what it looks like. It, you know, it's it's well known. It's and it's it's not a new concept whatsoever. We know what it should look like. It's the practical practicality, sorry, of making that work, given all of the operational constraints that we have. I would say for new teachers, new to teaching there's definitely a stronger emphasis on mentoring so they do get that almost guidance and and more showing as opposed to setting their own targets and coming up with the you know the answers themselves if you like so I do think just to put in there with the targets so when I was mentoring um way back when I remember that every conversation followed but with 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 a small target so it was kind of like I was coaching Mm -hmm. mentoring at the same time so I was giving all of this pastoral support that that shoulder to kind of lean on and and cry on um but then at the end of it I was like well well, why don't you try and do this for next time Mm -hmm. and it was kind of setting that goal but I just felt like am I just adding to this person's burden um is this person who's already overworked already stretched mm-hmm. uh, but I knew the pra- policy and I knew the practices and I had to do this um but it was always in the back of my head like uh, am I absolutely you know drowning this person with an additional workload and an additional meeting once every week mm-hmm. um, so have you obviously I, it has worked in some instances is, but yeah. it, it, it does work well, there are successes evidently because there's still teachers out there but um <laughs> <laughs> but I just wonder you know as a as a mentee I'd like to hear from anyone even if you're in the audience or listening if you want to um respond or say something you've gone through the process yourself you know what are your thoughts you know at the time were you thinking like I can't be meeting with my mentor right now and I don't want another observation did you want to just be left alone or were you quite relieved? So interested to hear from the listeners. Um, Jana, you know, if you've got anything to impart, have you ever had any experiences where you've had that feeling? Do let us know. Absolutely. I mean, I remember being being a mentee myself a long time ago and and I and I completely agree with with some of what you're saying there. And it, it does feel like pressure. It still feels like pressure, even though it's a it, it it's articulated as a supportive process when somebody's coming into your classroom there's that sort of feeling that underlying feeling that they're there to tell you what you're doing wrong and you know that's that's a culture and it's a culture that still exists in many um, further education colleges today even though we've moved away long a long time ago from graded observations and you know much more supportive process I think it's about allowing that new staff member time and I think it's not overloading them. And I think coaches and, ment- and mentors need to work very, very closely with line managers, um, curriculum managers, curriculum directors to to ensure that that new staff member is supported. So do you think that, or what would you say was the most successful practical thing that you've done to get a new staff member on board I think it's like early intervention it's getting in there it's it's building relationships as always building self-confidence you know you don't always assume that people are coming in with with no knowledge of teaching and learning always learn from them as well so it's a it's a two-way respectful process 
it's being able to model best behaviours and and to to gain their respect. And if you think about it, Sabrina, the you know even yourself or some of them you know the more you know really successful people who've done really well within their career in teaching. I think a commonality that you'll find is that they've all experienced having either a great inspiration, mentor or coach at some point in their career. And again, it's building on relationships. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. You know, everyone kind of having their own kind of inspiration. Again, anyone out there, if you've got an inspiration you want to you want to mention that's really changed your direction and trajectory in teaching, love to hear about that. Do let me know. Just tweet me. Um, at Crystal Maze. Um, oh, we're allowed, not allowed to say tweet, are we? What is it? X me? X me? <laughs> not a clue. Not a clue. No, someone needs to tell me what what we're supposed to say now. I think it is X me. Um, so uh, my next question for you is: What happens after mentoring, coaching? You know, you a lot of the time these practices last in the first year. Hmm. Maybe six months maximum. I've seen, I heard about is a year. The first year. What happens after that? So you get all of this support, all of this um, direction, guidance, time, which is precious. And then all of a sudden, second year, which I think is probably the hardest Mm -hmm. um, because you're on your own. And it's like, right, you're an experienced member of staff now. Crack on. Mm. What What happens after the mentoring and coaching? Well, that's a really important point that you've made there, Sabrina. And I think, you know, I mentioned it a little bit earlier that I I think our focus is predominantly here on new teaching staff and early career teachers. But actually, we we need to maintain a focus on existing and experienced teachers as well, because continuous professional development should be career long, should be lifelong. Um, And I don't see coaching or, or mentoring as a as an event it's a process that happens over time and people should be able to dip in and out of support whenever they see fit it may be that they self-refer it may be that a manager refers that member of staff for support and and I think even just moving away from the intent is to improve to to that the, the that the teaching practice is not good enough actually sometimes we're going into lessons we're visiting lessons and we're having conversations with staff and what we actually want to do is share good practice as well so I do think that it should be a continuous cycle and those sort of pedagogical conversations should be happening on a you know it might be a bit ideal to say a daily basis but it should definitely be normal practice for you to be having those conversations with staff about how teaching's going what's happening in the classroom what are they wanting to try next and can you get involved can you support in anywhere so um a lot of what so far you've referred to and discussed has been about teaching and learning um and i remember as a mentor teaching and learning was a big part and that was obviously the primary objective but there was a lot of other baggage loads of other baggage it was like personal problems mental well-being health and yeah. all of that. where does that all of that fit in in kind <laughs> mentoring coaching I don't know if I just took it on because I'm crazy or is this a normal (laughs) part of mentoring and coaching is this what we're supposed to be doing and should we not need qualifications to deal with everyone else the amount of times issues the amount of times I've heard that yeah oh you think I was a counsellor you know any coaches or mentors out there that are listening and who've said that phrase you think I was a counsellor and things you know 
you're dealing with human beings at the end of the day and they're not a robot they're not just a teacher they're a human they've got biopsychosocial factors that are impacting their practice their daily life their mindset and of course that filters through into the classroom and it filters through to the learners as well so to be a good coach to be an effective coach over time you will be a very well-rounded um, and well-researched individual who is able to be empathetic who is able to holistically coach and manage people as or not manage people but you know interact with people as a human being so do you think that you know to do a role like mentoring coaching we need to be qualified in doing so and is there an element in which mentors and coach should have a qualification in dealing with that kind of mental health and well-being whether mm-hmm. it's counseling or psychology or I don't mm-hmm. know are, are we are we advising and guiding and maybe risking something here I don't know um I, I don't think that a mentor or a coach needs to have a, a degree in psychology or needs to have any form of you know educational psychology qualification I think it's best practice that they go through some form of coaching qualification whether that be you know an accredited or whether it be in-house training um I do think that if you're wanting to go into that direction if you're wanting to step into quality improvement and the management of people you should naturally be following your professional standards you should be making yourself a well-rounded individual you should be doing cpd around teacher mental health resilience which is what we're looking to build up in staff and learners and all of the other elements that come around it as well so yes a coach isn't just being good at teaching and learning it's been a good people person it's been an experienced human being experienced in life and experienced in dealing with also trauma-informed practice as well so it's quite a lot quite a big role this mentor and coach so i know again from my personal experience and and from the people that i know still mentoring and coaching that it's actually kind of a side gig for a lot of people so you know they're doing all of this this baggage this taking on the mentoring role supporting inducting um all of that but they're also teaching they're also doing all of the other quality assurances observations etc i mean should it not just be a full time you know you are a mentor you are supportive or is that is that taking away a skill set from someone again i I mean that and this this is just my opinion but i you know you said it's often a side a sidekick was it a a side role i think the word that i would use is um it's a dual role i think in order to be able to um advise people on what best practice is in regards to teaching learning managing learners behavior dealing with workload managing your time effectively creating resources and so on and so forth I think you need to be able to model that and to demonstrate that actually this is what I do and this is what works and actually sometimes this is what I do and sometimes it doesn't work because we're all human beings so I would say that mentors and coaches do in my opinion, need to keep hold of some teaching hours. I've seen, oh God, I've seen posts where, you know, mentors might still have 18, 19 teaching hours attached to the contract. Yes, you're going to have to manage your time very well. But we take that as a as a step into our career progression. 
a step into quality improvement and it is really a privileged position to be going into people's classrooms and to be having an impact on our new teachers and our future outstanding teachers as well. Um, so yeah, I would say if it was a full-time mentoring and coaching position, you I think you're definitely at risk of losing um, the skill set and the confidence that comes with being in a classroom, the routine, keeping up to date with um, pedagogical practices, being able to adapt your practice and dealing with the, the learners that are coming through our doors in this day and age, which we all know are completely, you know, in, in a lot of cases are challenging situations, especially in GFEs. So in your honest opinion, do you think there's anything that you would like to change generally about what you've seen around mentoring and coaching? Is there something you think, I know you mentioned earlier that it needs to apply to all staff, not just new staff mm -hmm. um, more so, but is there anything else you think we can do to improve this, the, the processes around mentoring and coaching? I think you know. Are you, are you talking about blue skies thinking here? Because I think what we would all say is more, yeah. more, more rose tinted glasses. <laughs> yeah, rose tinted glasses. Okay, so yeah, ideally, a, a manageable sort of teaching workload to go alongside that mentoring and coaching. Um, the expectation that you won't be pulled into cover other lessons, so that you can actually have an impact on your coaching and mentoring across the college. Um, pay as well. You know, it's a privileged position. Ideally, it will be a salary to aspire to. Um, you know, I don't need to go into a conversation around teacher pay and FA. That's for a different, <laughs> a different <laughs> podcast for you. Well, yeah, um, but, I've, I've got a free opening in a month's time. Maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll squeeze <laughs> that in. That would be a popular one. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, but yeah, your coaches and mentors need to be just as much um, as engaged in professional development and, and personal development to be able to filter that through. And also it should be coming from leaders and managers as well. If you look at the Ofsted um, inspection for education inspection framework, it comes under leadership and management where it's saying that teachers are supported to develop their um, subject knowledge so their subject specialism which I know that you've already had a podcast on and then there's pedagogical knowledge which is that craft of teaching so it's all around the teaching and learning which is often what you find a coach will have up and then there's the um, pedagogical content knowledge so that's how knowing how to teach your subject well and the nuances within your subject specialism and how that should be taught and I think that's where your mentors come in really well. Um, so again, that's a leadership and management thing. And we need to see we need to see model behaviour for it to truly affect a culture within a college organisation. And, and to get that uptake really from, you know, whether that be support staff, teaching, managers, above and beyond APs. We, we should be seeing it right throughout and then eventually what happens is that filters down to the learners and that sort of coaching style will come through to the learners as well and that's where you get resilient learners and they're thinking about learning and it, you know I could go off on a whole other tangent on this. <laughs> no no that's fine so so all of these things would, it would help improve the the kind of coaching and mentoring process um, and this would be your ideal so what are the common issues then? I'm, I'm guessing a lot of them will be the opposite of what you've just said. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's operational. Like I'm pretty sure that in your previous podcast, you mentioned something around the the uncertainty that comes around recruitment in FE. You you think that you're going to be recruiting a group of 20 learners and before you know it, you've got two groups of, I don't know, 25 learners. You need an additional member of staff. It's difficult to recruit, to draw people in from the industry because the industry pays better than teaching does. And so what you end up with is overworked staff teaching staff who have less time to focus on planning, less time to focus on quality improvement and teaching and learning. And it almost feels like they're firefighting a lot of the time. So that's one barrier. And the other barrier would be sort of mental health as well and, and having adequately trained or experienced coaches and mentors. And that's something that develops over time. So you mentioned there that, you know, you've got the overworked staff, they've got no time, they've got no, uh, really, you know, they are, they are working, you know, a million hours a week. Mm -hmm. How is it that we would approach them to support them? If you're, if you're a mentor or a coach, what is it that anyone could do to help that member of staff who's brilliant, they've done their job and now they're doing the job of two staff technically? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, it, you know, it's hard to pass the book, but it's definitely a leadership and, and management conversation that needs to be had there as well. Because whilst you might have, you know, coaching or mentoring conversation with that member of staff, you have to be completely um, empathetic and be emotionally intelligent to understand the pressures that that, that person is under at that time. And it's knowing it almost being able to pick out quick wins to be able to reduce workload, whether that be sharing work, you know, sharing planning collaborative working with other members of staff whether that be and I know that you mentioned this before as well that how can we adopt the use of AI and it's not the be all and end all but how can we work smarter in order to try and reduce teacher workload as well and again it's kind of a magical concept but there are definitely ways that we can make efficiencies. So do you think all in all like mentoring is working or do you think there there could be more before you can say that mentoring is working I, I think I think things are always developing I've seen it work well and there's always areas for development and I would say overall when it's done when it's implemented effectively mentoring and coaching are one of the key strategies that you can use to build teacher resilience to increase teacher retention reduce um teacher attrition we know that around 25 percent of FE teachers uh, leave within the first year of teaching and that's based on the the 21 data from the FE workforce data published by the DFE um, we know that self-confidence improves with coaching and mentoring we know that collaboration improves and ultimately learner learner outcomes so yes I think mentoring works but we just need to have leadership and management buy-in and to invest in the resources the time and the development in people to be able to do so well i must say it's been it's been great talking to you shanna about all of this uh, mentoring and and coaching bringing back loads of memories for me i don't know whether they were all positive mind um <laughs> But I do think I, I do think I agree with you and I can see how mentoring has, has spread actually and, and developed because I think when I first started doing it, it wasn't as well known and there wasn't as many people doing it around. But I think you're right when you said, you know, you get 
a coach or a mentor nearly every organization or a lead for kind mm-hmm. of innovation and practice now and that, and that's really it's it's good to hear actually it's nice to see that that value is being given to to developing people and not and pedagogy and practice so um i, I do agree with you and um what i'd like to do is thank you for your time today and all of your input and i hope everyone out there who's listening will contact shanna if you've got any further questions or queries shanna how is it best to contact you okay so i'm not on i'm not on x <laughs> i do have oh, an x but it's not an up-to-date <laughs> account um so i think link, linkedin you know I, i'm very responsive on linkedin if you if you'd like to reach out obviously this was the way it was what an hour 60 minutes it just touches the surface really um so yeah i'd love to hear from anybody Brilliant. Thank you. And um, if you, again, want to reach out to me or if you're interested in any of the topics of the show, please find me on X at Crystal Maze or you can find me on LinkedIn as well as Sabrina Ahmed Qureshi. Right, folks, catch you again in a fortnight and thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.